we have been doing an overview of what is called the minor prophets. And today we are, this is our second week in Zechariah. Uh, we're not looking at this verse by verse. We are kind of doing a bird's eye view of the book. And uh, we're going to do a second message on this. And then when I get back from Mexico uh, in two weeks, we'll do one more before we get to the last one which is Malachi. So we're on the 11th of the 12 minor prophets. And it bears saying again, they are minor prophets, not because they're unimportant, but because they're smaller. However, Zechariah is longer than the other minor prophets. Um, and uh, yet these, these prophets that ministered so long ago have validity for the day in which we live, and I hope that we see that. This prophet, Zechariah, is a post-exilic prophet. He's writing after the children of Israel have been taken into captivity. They've come back into the land. They're in rebuilding stage here to rebuild uh, the city of Jerusalem that was destroyed by the Babylonians to rebuild the temple that was destroyed. They had begun to build The uh, foundation of the temple, they were discouraged and disobedient, and they failed to do that for 16 years. God raised up Haggai and also Zechariah to uh, kind of goad them into doing what God had called them to do, but also to encourage them. They had become preoccupied with their own houses, building their own houses, nice paneled houses, and they had forsaken the work of the temple. And uh, so... Some of that was discouragement and despondency on their part. There are a small little remnant that have come back to their land that had been destroyed. And so one of the things Zechariah does is to encourage them. Here is hope for the despondent. And the first six chapters of this book have to do with eight visions that this prophet Zechariah had in one night. This is one of the ways that sometimes God spoke through the prophets. He gave them visions that they then communicated to the people of God that had a message for their own time as well as the days that were ahead. And so we saw last week that these eight visions had a focal point, and according to Hebrew, often the way Hebrew uh, writings would emphasize something is not at the end to bring about the grand conclusion, but sometimes it was written in a chiastic way, which brought the emphasis on the main point in the center of the, of the, the message. And so of these eight messages, mess, uh, vis, or visions, visions uh, four and five are center, and this is what really gets the Uh, focus in terms of these visions. So those are the ones that we are looking at. Last week, we looked at chapter four, which had to do with Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was a descendant of the uh, kingly line, a son of David. There's no king on the throne now. He is only the governor. They are still under Cyrus or under the rule of the Persians, but he is the governor. And God encourages with this vision of the lampstand that we looked at last week, a golden lampstand, that God is going to give what is needed to finish this task. And so it's an encouragement to Zerubbabel. God's going to give the power and the strength that they need by his spirit. 
The second key figure in both Zechariah and Haggai is the man Joshua. These two men had come back from the captivity. They are now in the land, and they're helping the people. Now, Joshua is, um, he is an ecclesiastical leader, we might say. Zerubbabel was a civil leader. He was uh, the governor. But Joshua is an ecclesiastical leader. He is a priest. And here is this vision that is given that we just had read for us by Gary in chapter 3. It's a, a vision of Joshua the high priest in filthy garments. This is a very interesting vision that he has. And it's helpful for us because it gives pictures for us. You know, a picture is worth a thousand words, they say. And here's a picture of the high priest who is in filthy clothes. Now, you children, you know maybe what it's like. At least I did, and I think most of us adults can identify with this as well. You know what it's like to come home and your mom or dad says to you, how did you get so dirty? Have you ever had that said to you? Did you fall into a pig pen? Well, again, I think we can all identify with that. Uh, Children, they just attract dirt. Well, here's a picture of the high priest of Joshua, and he is in filthy garments. And we see this in verses 1 through 3. And this vision really is, has disturbing implications. There are three main characters that we find in verse 1. He showed me Joshua, who is the high priest. He's standing before the angel of the Lord, We're not going to take the time to to develop this, but in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, when it has the article, is most likely a reference, many believe, to the pre-incarnate Christ, that he was the messenger of the Lord. And so before he came and was born at Bethlehem, the second person of the Godhead was revealed as the angel of the Lord. And there are several occasions where he is worshipped and people bow down and worship him, showing that he, he is a divine being. So this isn't just an angel. It is the angel of the Lord. So here is Joshua who is standing before this angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ. And then we have Satan or the accuser. That's what Satan's name means, the accuser. So here is Satan standing at the right hand of Joshua to accuse him. And that's what the Bible tells us about Satan. He's the accuser of the brethren, of the people of God. He is their opponent. Now, the language that is used here in this vision is the language of a courtroom setting. So here is the judge, the angel of the Lord. Here is Joshua standing there in these filthy garments. And to his side is what we might say is a prosecutor who's presenting charges against the high priest there in this courtroom. And no doubt the charge that is being given by Satan, it doesn't state it, but he's accusing him. The charge is something like this. This man is unfit to fulfill his office. Look at him. He is in filthy clothes. He's unfit as a high priest. Now, when we think about a priest in the Old Testament, a priest is someone who had his back to the people of God and his face toward God. So we can think about a picture of a priest doing that. 
he comes before God on behalf of the people that he represents, and he brings sacrifices. He's representing them before God. And that's where he would do it in the temple. He would go there, and on the Day of Atonement, he would come that one day of the year, present offerings on behalf of the people for their sin. So he was their representative. Here is Satan who's pointing his finger and saying, this man is unfit. He's unfit to be a high priest, to represent the people of God. He's disqualified. Now we know that Satan is the father of lies. Jesus tells us that in John 8. He's the father of lies. But when it comes to bringing charges against God's people, he really doesn't have to lie, does he? I mean, Satan can bring charges against every one of us just this week, couldn't he? He doesn't have to trump up some charges or make something up. He doesn't have to lie. He can very simply just speak truth at this point and show that that we have sinned. And so, as we think about the accuser of the brethren here, he is one that does not have to lie at this point. He can speak honestly even of, of this man Joshua, but also the people that he represents, that they're unfit, they're unclean. And we see this idea of this, these filthy garments, what they mean down in verse 3. Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. He's clothed with filthy garments. Now, this is significant because the high priest of Israel, very clearly in the book of Exodus, chapter 28, he was given garments that were prescribed by God that he had to wear when he went into the temple. And these were beautiful garments. He was the best-dressed man in all of Israel. And, and it says in Exodus 28 that these garments were holy garments for Aaron, and they were glorious, and they were beautiful. So as he ministered in the temple, he had these beautiful garments on as he was representing the people, as he was, as he was representing them before God. And so he had his back to God. He was coming with sacrifices, his back to the people. He was coming before God with sacrifices on behalf of the people. But in this vision, he is filthy. His garments are filthy. As Satan is pointing out, that this man is unfit. And for any Jew who would see this vision and think about this picture of a high priest, their high priest being dressed in these filthy rags, this was a horrific vision. I mean, this was like a nightmare. This, our representative, who represents us in the holy place, in the presence of God, he is defiled from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He is dirty. He's in these dirty, filthy Garments. That's how it's referred to. They're filthy garments. The word filthy here is a word that is used twice in the Old Testament, and it's used here in Zechariah chapter 3. And the word has the, the basic root of the word means to issue forth. Issue forth. 
something that is coming from within. Now, in verse 4, these filthy garments are reflecting their iniquity, the iniquity of Joshua, but not only Joshua, the people that he represents. So it is representing this, these filthy garments are representing their sins, their iniquity. And the word here, filthy garments, the, the word filthy is meaning that which comes from within. In a Hebrew lexicon, this word is defined as this, filth, specifically human excrement. All right, you get the picture here? This is not a pretty picture. This is the word that is used. These are excrement-soiled clothes. Very graphic picture. Many years ago, and I've shared this before, one of my neighbors just down the road here was out in his backyard. He's an elderly man. He was in his his 80s, and he was just walking in his backyard, and he went over to a septic tank to kind of just check it out, and he was standing on top of it. It was an old septic system, and you know what happened? The lid broke, the whole top broke, and he went straight down into his septic tank. And he was lodged down in there. The concrete lodged his legs against the wall. He was up to here in his own excrement. And uh, they called 911, and everybody from Delhi came, and it was a big to-do. And I asked Pete about that. I said, were you on duty that day? And he goes, yes, I was. And I was one of the ones that went down and got him out. And, you know, this really is a beautiful picture of the gospel, believe it or not. And that's what is being painted for us here. But here is a picture of the high priest, and he's covered with filthy garments. And these filthy garments and this defilement is something that comes from within. It's not something that comes from the outside. It is something that is coming from within. And Jesus says that where does sin come from? It comes from the heart. It comes from within the person, out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and fornications and theft and false witness and blasphemies. So here's this horrific vision that is given that our representative before God is, he's dirty and filthy and he's unfit. And this is really just looking at their past history, what the nation of Israel has done. They have turned their backs upon God. They have They have gone into idolatry, and God had to bring judgment upon them and take them out of their own land, take them into captivity, into Babylon. And so here is a picture of them, the nation, not just the high priest, their representative, but all of them. They stand condemned and unclean. This priest represented his people. One of the parts of the clothing of a high priest that on his shoulder, on his breast, plate were the 12 names of the tribes of Israel. He represented them. And so he's filthy, and it's a picture of Israel. They are filthy. Isaiah 1, Isaiah says this, alas, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They, are forsa- they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, There is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. So here's this vision that is given, and 
This is our representative. This is us. And we can put ourselves in that picture as well. And so here is the, cu- uh, the accuser. And he's saying, this man is not worthy to serve. And it may appear that he has an open and shut case in the courtroom that, well, he's got a point. We have sinned grievously against our God. We have broken covenant with our God. And we were taken away into captivity. But that's not the end of the vision. We see that there is a a glorious resolution to this. And we notice in verse 2, first of all, that Satan, the accuser, is rebuked by the angel of the Lord. The the Lord, I think this is the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord said, rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is not this a brand that has been plucked from the fire? So coming from the throne is this statement to Satan, shut your mouth. Your your testimony is no good in this courtroom. And he rebukes Satan. Why? Because he says, I have chosen Jerusalem. And I don't think this is a reference to a a physical city. This is a, a reference to the people of God, the those who he has chosen, those he has chosen before the foundation of the world. And so here is this statement, I have chosen them, they are mine. Yeah, dirt and all, I have chosen them. And then they are like a brand that has been plucked out of the fire. They have been preserved from this judgment that has come upon them, this holocaust that took place With regard to Babylon, they're like a a brand that God has plucked out of the fire for himself. Yes, dirty and burnt as a result of that fire, but they have been plucked out by God. So God has, we might ask, has God's purpose failed? Has the promise to Abraham that he would have a seed, a people, has it failed? Has it come to an end because of their corruption is this sin ultimate, ultimately their undoing? What we find written over the Old Testament people of God, the history, is this, that God's saving of a people is not because they're holy and righteous, but because he's long-suffering and persevering in his saving purpose. As Isaiah says, if God had not left us a a remnant, we would have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. So he rebukes Satan, the accuser. And then secondly, we see Joshua, the high priest, is given a new set of garments. This is beautiful. Verses 3 to 5. We see in verse 3, now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the guilty garments the filthy garments from him. Remove the filthy garments. Take them off. Take them away from him. Take away the, the accusations that are being made. There's a removal, we might say, of the sin, the guilt, and the shame. Take those filthy garments off of him and give him a new set of clothes. So he goes on in verse 4 and says, Behold, And to him he said, Behold, I have taken away your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. The dirty clothes are removed, 
taken off, and there is cleansing, there is forgiveness, and there's a new set of clothes that have been given to him. We were visiting our new grandson a couple weeks ago, and my son Kyle said about Derek, he had a blowout in his diaper this week. Um, I said, I remember some of those from you. Um, but when you think about a blowout, it's something that gets all over the place, you know. And what does a parent do? But they take off the dirty, filthy garment and throw it in the wash, put on a new diaper, clean them up, clean them all up, and put on new, clean clothes. This is the picture that is given here of this high priest as the representative of his people, that the the filthy garment has been taken off. There's this cleansing, purification, and now there are these new clothes, these clean new vestments, we might say, that are put on him. And so these garments are suitable now for him to be in the presence of God who is holy. He now has holy garments. And so we see here, that Zechariah can't help himself in verse uh, 6 or verse 5. Zechariah, as he looks at this, he said, And I said, this is Zechariah speaking, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on, the, on his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. And so Zechariah says he needs the, the, the hat that the high priest wore, and on that hat it said, Holy unto the Lord. Holy unto the Lord. And so here is a picture of these exchange of garments. What we see here is the, the glory and the beauty of the gospel. The great exchange that takes place for the people of God. And what we see is that this high priest is being reinstated to do the work that God had given him to do. And he's called to do that. We see that in the uh, seventh verse. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. So what God is saying, you have put yourselves off. You were taken away. You broke covenant with me, but I'm taking you back. As we saw last week, God receives back those who had broken covenant with him. And now he's saying, I'm reinstituting you now, Joshua, to be the high priest in this temple once it is finished. And so here is this priestly line, this office that he holds that continues. And in all of this, we see a, a wonderful picture of the gospel, the great exchange that takes place. And so this vision now goes on to speak about a glorious messianic conclusion. We see this in verses 6 to 10. The angel of the Lord says to Joshua, I I want you to fulfill, be faithful to the task that is given to you. But then we get to verse 8, and it goes on to say, Hear now, hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. All right, there's... There's something beyond just the here and now. They're a sign of something greater that is going to come. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. These are two Old Testament terms to to be used of the Messiah that is to come. He's my servant. 
There's one that the Lord is going to send, his own son, who will be his servant, the Messiah. And he is also referred to as the branch. He's the seed, that little sprout that came out of the line of David when the the kings and the kingdom had been shut off and there's no king ruling. There's a little sprout that's going to come up, the branch. It is Jesus Christ. And so we find these messianic terms that are used. And then we see in verse 9, Behold, on the stone, another messianic statement, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. And notice this, And I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In a single day. And this is, again, looking forward to that day when one who will come, who is the branch, who is the high priest, the Messiah, this one who is coming is going to remove sin in one day. Jesus, as he hung on on the cross, uttered this short little statement, it is what? Is finished. All the Old Testament priests, they offered up bulls and goats according to the word of God, what he commanded, but they could never take away sin. But this one, having offered up himself once for all, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. The work is done, the work is complete. And what we see is this high, pri- this high priest who makes provision for sin is one who gives us an exchange of garments. We have an exchange of garments. Isaiah 64, 6 says this, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted, filthy garment. That's what the Bible says about all of us. There's none righteous, no, not one. When we look at The high priest there in his filthy garments, really a picture of us. But here is the amazing, amazing truth of the gospel. That Jesus Christ, who is holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, came into our world and willingly took our filthy garments upon himself. He who knew no sin was made to be sin. For us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is the good news of the gospel. He died the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And so what happens in the gospel is to every believing sinner that casts his hope upon Christ and puts their trust in him. Their sins were put to the account of Christ, and he bore them away. And in the gospel, everyone who has put their trust in Christ, they are given a robe of righteousness that is not their own. They are given a new garment. And we read in Isaiah 61.10, In the days of the Messiah, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. 
He has covered me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Filthy garments removed, new garments put on, the righteousness of Christ. And if, we are, if you are in Christ, this is how God sees you. He sees you in his son, dressed in his perfect righteousness. Romans 5, 19. By one, one man, Adam, by his disobedience, many were made sinners. So he had filthy garments. But by the one man, Christ, by his obedience, many will be made righteous, declared righteous before God. This is the great exchange of the gospel. And as we close this morning in our study here, I want to ask you, what clothes are you dressed in today? Spiritually speaking, what clothes are you dressed in? If you're not in Christ, you're dressed in filthy garments, the Bible says. You may think that you're okay, but the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. There's the promise of salvation found in Christ. The call of the gospel is to flee to Jesus Christ that you may receive this great exchange that is a free gift. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. It is a free gift. It's received by an empty hand of faith, receiving this gift from God. It's a wonderful gift. If you're here today and you're a believer, you look in the mirror, you see the righteousness of Christ. Praise be to God. And it's our privilege today to come to the Lord's table to remember what he did so that we could have such a standing before him to be dressed in the righteousness of Christ. So as we prepare and come to the Lord's table, we're going to sing that wonderful hymn that speaks about our great high priest, who he is for us. I invite you to take your uh, insert. And it's before the throne of God.